And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. It's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you by our good friends at Heartland Catfish, where each week we discuss topics from around the sports world with a former Bulldog great. This week, while you're stuck in the quarantine, like me, you probably have the great taste for some good catfish. This week, you can find some great Heartland Catfish at Southern Hands Homestyle Cooking. They've got five locations in the Memphis area, 6025 Winchester, 7119 Hacks Cross. That's an olive branch, 3624 Austin P in Memphis, 1811 Kirby Parkway, and then 930 Madison, that location inside the UT Health Science Center. So call in your order. They'll have it ready when you drive up. Once again, for the best quality catfish, nothing compares to Heartland Catfish. And make plans to get yours tonight at one of these five locations of Southern Hands Homestyle Cooking. Well, let's go to the Heartland Hotline and Buck Showalter. Former Bulldog great, three-time American League Manager of the Years, managed with the Yankees, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, the Orioles. Buck, we appreciate you hanging out with us this afternoon. How are we doing today? Oh, we're doing great. We're doing great. And uh, it's just uh, one of the things we like to do is we like to look back in Bulldog history and talk about teams from the 1970s, the 1980s, and the 1990s. And when you look at 1977, when you guys came to start, well, when you start looking at a bunch of junior college guys from Florida, Del Bender, a Russ Aldrich, a, a Jack Lazorco, how in the world did all of you guys end up in Startwell, Mississippi? You know, it's, uh, well, it's two words, Ron Polk. You know, I had uh, verbally committed to the University of Florida, but I had promised Coach Polk that I would at least make a visit to Startwell before I made a final decision. You know, he can be very persuasive. And as you well know, anybody that's spent any time around him. And, you know, I was from a little bitty town in northwest Florida. We graduated about 40 people out of a senior class. And, you know, it's one of those places where you got to hustle for a prom date. And I, uh, you know, Startwell just fit me a lot better than uh, Gainesville did. And I thought about it a long time. Plus, my roommate and uh, best friend to this day, Russ Aldrich, had decided he was going to go there, and it just felt like uh, the right place for me. Tough call to the athletic director of Florida, but uh, it was a great decision in my life looking back at it. I think there were 10 to 12 JUCO transfers that year. For those who don't remember, you know, Coach Polk, when he first got there, the, the level of high school baseball in Mississippi wasn't what it is now, and he had made a promise to everybody, and some alumni were not too happy about him going out of state, but he said, I want to get this program on a strong footing. And then as I started helping all the high school coaches around the state, we should be able to develop good players uh, in the state and not have to do this as much. But it was kind of a quick fix to, to the baseball program that had kind of taken some steps back in recent years. So we came in there, you know, there was a little, there was some, not disgruntled, but, you know, people wanted to say, well, you better be right kind of thing. And if you know Coach Polk, he's always got a plan. I think after the first 15 or 20 games, I think everybody saw what he was talking about. In Mississippi State history, we think back, obviously we just had a great run in center field with Jake Mangan, a four-year player. Bart and I talk all the time. There were a lot of great players in the 70s, and it feels like some of those players on your team really fit that mold, be it a Mike Kelly, a Russ Aldridge, a Jack Lazorka. How do you see those guys on your team as how they would stack up today? Oh, I'd be uh... – very comparable, if not better. Mike Kelly was arguably the best center fielder ever played at Mississippi State. I think a lot of people miss that. Jake Mangum, I saw him play. He was a good player, really good college player, good runner. Mike Kelly was a different level feed, different level defender. I mean, he he could outrun the baseball. 
Uh, you look at professional grades, he was top of the scale uh, foot speed. And uh, he had come there out, I believe, Illinois out of high school and turned in just an unbelievable player. I mean, just watching him run was worth going to a game. You know, that whole infield, Howie McCann at second base, his dad, you know, Brian McCann, the catcher that's still in the big league. Howie was a left-handed hitting second baseman out of Gulf Coast Junior College. He could really hit and really play defense. And then, you know, Don Robinson, my youth was on the mound. Jack Lazorco, we had a Juco pitcher named Buddy Mayer. Uh, they'd come in out of Seminole. He had a great arm. Of course, Del Bender, you could put him up against any any outfielder that uh, outfielder slash DH had ever played there. I mean, he hit, they talk about balls that people hit now. He was the first real consistent power threat I think they'd had there in quite a while. And uh, a freshman, John McDonald, playing third base. And really, when you stop and look at statistically and you look at the, a two-year sampling of Russ Aldridge, there's not been a better hitting catcher in the history of Mississippi State baseball than Russ Aldridge. I mean, and he still comes to a lot of games, a lot of sporting events there. And any fans that see Russ Aldridge walking around, you need to stop and tip your hat to him. That's as good a uh, hitting catcher as I've ever played with. Talking with Buck Showalter. And, uh, Buck, when you, when you look at baseball right now, and you were a part of some shutdowns, the strike sort shortened season in 1994. Uh, you had you know, the Baltimore riots you had to deal with, with you know, managing in an empty stadium. What's it like in today's world with baseball being shut down right now? What's it like for a team to try to come out of something like this? Well, you know, I've been asked a lot about it, I guess, because there's not a lot of people that have those two things, so to speak, on their resume. I know when we went to camp with replacement players was the low part of my career in baseball because we had a lot of people down there that shouldn't have been there. And we were, for, you know, our owner, Mr. Steinbrenner, told us that it wasn't going to happen. Just go down there and do what you got to do. We had people, people from every walk of life, uh, co-op leagues, uh, city leagues, some people that, uh, quite frankly, weren't real good characters and we couldn't wait for it to be over. It was awful for the coaches. We actually broke camp and went to Colorado, played, I believe, the first game ever in Coors Field Stadium with the replacement players. And we got word halfway through the game, really about the seventh inning, that the strike had been settled. And we had to turn around, get on the plane, and head back to Fort Lauderdale to start spring training up a shortened version with the players. And I think my advice to a lot of people, they're going to have to start back over again. The biggest issue you're going to have is with the pitchers. And to think that you just pick up where you left off, I remember the first month of the season in New York, we basically shortened up a lot of the pitchers' outings so they just weren't ready. And if you don't do that properly, you're going to have some arm issues with these guys if you try to go from A to Z. You're still going to have to go through a process to get those guys ready. So those two-week spring trainings, you pay a price for them. There's a reason why experience shows you how long it takes to get it. And really, that's what spring training is about, about getting the pitchers ready to go. You know, playing in an empty stadium – you know, the the things that caught me was how much quicker the games were played and how many things were driven by emotion of the fans. I mean, there was no walk-up music. There weren't a lot of commercials. You could hear the, the announcers talking. You Nobody was going to get thrown out of the game because the umpire could hear every single word you said. I didn't have to use the bullpen phone guys to call. I could just yell down to the bullpen. It was surreal, but after a couple of innings, we were just playing baseball. And what it hit me, it gave me an idea why some of the games last so long. I mean, we didn't have anybody hitting a double in a 10 to nothing game and putting horns over his head and pounding his chest at second base. I mean, it was it was such a team-oriented thing. And quite frankly, a lot of it was, was uh, I don't want to say attractive, it was just a reminder of the purity of baseball, really why we play the game. I think the game was like two hours, two hours, or 10 minutes, because 
we just played baseball. There was not a lot of the, uh, booyah and in your face. Guys got in the box, guys hit, uh, and they played the game. And a buck along those lines, just to follow up with that, you know, college baseball came out early on with the SEC and said, we're going to push everything back to March the 30th. And all of, all of a sudden it was April the 15th. And, you know, a lot of leagues in the country have said, hey, we're going to cancel everything for the remainder of the way. How tough is it and how much time would it take? Is that the main reason that, that you're probably not going to see college baseball this year is because how long does it take to get back in that rhythm? Because you just can't say, hey, we're going to start on April the 15th and start practice on April the 10th. Well, baseball is such a game of repetition. And because you play in professional baseball, you play every day. In college baseball, you play in probably three four times a week. And it's probably not as big a challenge uh, collegiately as it would be professionally. But, you know, we're all going to err on the side of caution for sure. But if, if you look at a lot of the things, you know, my big question is if they grant this year of eligibility to these guys going in their senior year, what do they do with the freshmen coming in? You know, is the NCAA going to give more scholarships to the university? Are they going to – I mean, what happens to these freshmen – if they're going to have to go back and finish high school, it may all fit. But my question is, you got these freshmen coming in, and you got these seniors that may not be leaving. So you're going to have really five classes instead of four classes. So there's a lot of questions that the NCAA is going to have to answer. We talk so much about the state of baseball. Bart and I are kind of old school guys. We perhaps are not as analytical driven as some guys. We still believe you got to get the you got to get the ground ball to second base, move a runner, and those kind of things. Where do you see baseball headed in terms of analytics versus the old school feel? How do you, where do you see the state of baseball right now? Well, I, you know, I don't. You are analytical. You just don't realize. You just happen to do it a lot with something called an eye test. I remember somebody hitting on a field two two fields over, and I turned and said, "Who's that hitting over there?" He said, "Why?" I said, uh, "I like the sound that the ball's making off his bat." I went over there and it was a guy named Manny Machado. There's a there's just some things that experience will show you. And the best organizations are the ones that bridge both together. I mean, they act like this is something new. You know, we were doing this back in the 70s and 80s. If you don't think Ron Polk was analytically driven, you know, you weren't listening or you weren't watching. It's kind of not comical, but it's kind of entertaining to make a lot of people think that this is something new. We just have a lot more sampling. Uh, you know, you still have to do the same thing to be successful in baseball. You know, you tell a coach or a manager, would you rather have somebody put the ball in play or somebody that you don't know what they're going to do there, but, you know, consistency is always rewarded. I think, you know, we've kind of taken the uh, shame out of the strikeout. I know when I went back to the, and had struck out, which, you know, when a Ron Polk team didn't happen much, it was like a failure. I had three chances. We've kind of taken that away. Those guys still have a place, and there's there's not a battle, but there's, you know, the people that are down in the dugout, the people that are in the locker room, you know things about players every day. We had a great run in Baltimore because we were able to surround ourselves with people that, you know, we knew had would play the game like we needed played. You know, we couldn't be the Yankees or the Red Sox financially and payroll-wise. So what were we willing to do? We were able to surround ourselves with a lot of people that, that shared the same, you know, skill set to do what we needed to do to compete with those people. But, you know, that, that healthy respect for the analytical side and the human element side are the organizations that do the best. I think the Washington Nationals are a great example of that. And, you know, to understand that the GMs and the owners are are driving a lot of this because, you know, the, the owners look at all these analytical-driven things and they think they, too, can be a baseball analyst. 
And there's so much more to the game, the experienced eye, and I call them boots on the ground guys that know and see things. And there's a there's a process to get into an end game when you're coaching, and you just can't go from A to Z. I think that's why you're seeing so many arm issues. Because everybody's chasing velocity, everybody's chasing spin rate, and the torque on these shoulders and elbows. Uh, and there's more mistakes being made evaluating players than any time I can remember in our game because the other, the, I call it the sixth tool, there's not enough people in the game anymore that really know how to evaluate the sixth tool, the makeup, the character, whose finger's going to shake when it's on the trigger in the ninth inning. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of elements that you only get from being with guys every day and understanding them. We talk a lot about college baseball. Obviously, we are, we're big college baseball fans. Where do you see the college baseball's role in, in the, the bigger game of baseball today? Growing, shrinking, or how do you see that? Well, unfortunately, a lot of it chases the dollar. You know, when you look back, a lot of talk about decreasing the minor league teams. And, the you know, there's, in some ways, I think they're looking for the colleges to be a, a cheaper form of, of minor league baseball. And, uh, you know, you go to some of these facilities, you can see why. But because, really, the facilities in minor league baseball are not as good as, on the whole, the college baseball facilities, with, with a lot of except. And I think they're trying to kind of, you know, weed those those places out. And it's very tough on some of these communities that have put in these bond issues and everything to build these stadiums. So I'm hoping there's going to be a lot of thought put behind it. But usually with things like this, when there's talk about this happening, usually you can follow the money trail and you'll follow it figure out why it's going on but um, you know college baseball is always going to have a place I spoke at the National College Coaching Convention in Nashville this year 6,000 over 6,000 coaches it's a great event and I was very impressed with the thirst and the, and the the love of the game and you know it was one of the reasons I went was to kind of get a feel for what was going on, on the amateur side of it and it's all relevant whether you're coaching a little league team a high school team heck I remember every pitch from a state championship in high school whether it's chasing a, a World Series trophy or an SEC championship, it's all relevant. And I have a saying that, you know, these are the good old times. These are the good old days. You know, we always reach back for memories of other things. But also in baseball, the more they change, the more they stay the same. You still have to do the same things to be successful in our game. And I just, I worry a lot about the health of our pitchers' arms, the way that they're being always chasing velocity. We're talking to former Bulldog great and Major League Manager Buck Showalter. Buck, before we turn you loose, we watch it. Charlie and I watch a video before every game at uh, Duty Noble. They play on the video board, and you're one of the guys that comes through that montage. Mississippi State, uh, you know, thinks a lot of you, and, and you're still big at Mississippi State. Looking back to your college time, and you start talking about, you know, guys that that have their season cut short right now with a high school level, and they may be upset at the junior college level because they may not ever put that uniform on again. What does Mississippi State mean to you? Because I know that you talk of Russ Aldrich. I know that you made a lot of great, long-lasting friendships when you were in Startville. What does Mississippi State, what do you think about when you think of Startville, Mississippi? Well, you know, I left Startville uh, after my junior year. I signed two contracts, one with uh, the Yankees and one with my parents, that I would go back and finish my degree. And probably of all the things I've accomplished, that's the thing I'm most proud of. And Coach Polk uh, helped me get back and, and finish up my degree, not financially, but just made the avenues easier. And that was very important to him. Uh, I know that when we came out of this junior college, we couldn't figure out what everybody was clamoring about Ole Miss and LSU and the big rivalry. Well, let me tell you, the first time I went out to play left field in Oxford, I knew exactly what everybody was talking about. And I wasn't a big fan of Ole Miss and quite frankly, not to this day, but I, uh, you know, it's, uh, 
it's something that sits with you your whole life. And, uh, you know, the, the relationships and, you know, the people that the way you're treated. And I enjoy going back there. I'd like to do it more. I'm really excited about Coach Leach coming in. And I follow a really strong follower of the girls program. I love the, the way he goes about his business and the way that uh, his girls and women, young women play the game. So it's a uh, you know, it's something that's been a lifelong love of mine, and uh, you know, I'll always be appreciative of the time I spend there and continue to spend there because it meant a lot to me in my life. Buck, we appreciate it. Thank you for taking time out of your day to, to talk with a, a couple of guys that, uh, that share your same thoughts, that love of Mississippi State. Appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. You guys take care. And that's Buck Joe Walter, brought to you by Heartland Catfish. Remember those five great Heartland locations this week, Southern Hands Homestyle Cooking in the Memphis area. Well, we appreciate you hanging out with us again. Another edition of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.